Hey, welcome to another episode of Hangtime Junior. I'm Will Posnan, and uh, there's a lot of crazy basketball stuff to talk about. <laughs> how's how's this week been for you guys? Because, uh, man, it's so weird being in quarantine. Some weeks are like, some weeks are fine. It's almost like a week off from work. You're like, oh, it's like a vacation week. And then other weeks are like a week in prison. I don't know. That's probably hyperbolic. But other weeks are just unmanageable and anxiety-ridden. And this is this has been one of the latter. And that's that's okay. Now that I got that out of my system, let's talk about basketball. I, was, I just needed to get that out. So thank you for hearing those words because <laughs> those are... Those are probably going to be the only words on the podcast that don't have to do with basketball. I, if if that's too much non-basketball for you, I think you're unreasonable. If you're like, oh, 30 seconds up top about non-basketball, 30 seconds, that was like 46 no's. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, but now to the basketball. Holy shit, man. This, some, you know what I hate is people... That's how I'm going to open this. That's how you know it's been a rough week. I do hate media people talking about, is this finals going to be worth less than other finals? No, it's going to be worth more because this is all – if you're a basketball fan, this is all you got right now. Like you don't have – you didn't – you know, maybe you got to the beach this summer, but you certainly didn't get to see that friend you haven't seen in two years that you really wanted to see. Like there's just so much – there's just so much to this – pandemic that basketball has made easier i mean there's just so much shitty things going on that i would say most basketball fans are in agreement are shitty things despite the shitty things having nothing to do with basketball and uh this is like like they made a movie a league of their own about the women who played baseball during World War II while the soldiers were off fighting. They never made a movie about three years later just whoever won the World Series that year. Like, this is an anomaly year, and it's historically bad, and the basketball players that are providing entertainment for us during this time are doing more and what they're doing is worth more than other years not less like some people are like well is this if the lakers win it does this ring count for as much as a normal ring in the lebron jordan debate this ring counts for more this might be one and a half rings like this shit matters immensely but it's not in front of the fans okay i mean not everything in sports happens in front of fans. I'm trying to think of something that doesn't now. I guess most of sports does, but it it doesn't matter who the fans are. Like imagine if uh when Russia lost to us in hockey that one important time, the only important hockey game ever. <laughs> the only time hockey was ever important. Imagine somebody being like, "Well, those Russian uh there was no Russian fans in the stadium, so it should count for less. I don't know. I wonder if you could have – if that – well, that game predated Bovada Sportsbook. So you couldn't have bet on the miracle on ice 
That's what it's called, right? Yeah, the Miracle on Ice. You couldn't have bet on that if, uh, well, you couldn't have bet on it on Bovada, which is a shame because that's the only place I would have wanted to bet on the Miracle on Ice. Um, But yeah, now finally to basketball. Now it's been four minutes and you only alluded to basketball. Uh, I feel good about, so I predicted before the playoffs even began, I had the Lakers beating the Heat in the finals, and um, I think earlier in the season I actually said that the Heat were going to win it all, and despite the Celtics winning yesterday, I feel I feel better about the prediction on the, on the Lakers, no, on the Heat side than the Lakers side, like, I feel rock solid in picking the Heat over Boston. I think that Boston played their best game of the series, but I just think that the Heat didn't have a single guy play at like that. They always have the one guy who plays way above their potential. That's part of their thing, part of their charm. You know, famously it was Tyler Hero uh, in in Game Four. In Game 5, I mean, Duncan Robinson definitely brought it, but I don't think... Yeah, Duncan kind of did. They're going to have a guy step up in a major way in Game 6, and that'll be that. I mean, hopefully it'll be Jimmy. I'm so sick of people... (laughs) This is such a negative start to this. But I'm so sick of people making... like deliberately not understanding the way basketball teams are constructed in order to push narratives that are fun but meaningless. And one, there's a couple that I'm hearing all through the playoffs that really frustrate me. I think one I might have mentioned before, but whatever. Um, the first one is this narrative of Jimmy Butler needs to step up. Like, anybody who says Jimmy Butler needs to step up they don't understand the way the team is built. The team is built around whoever has the best matchup being the focal point of the offense that night. Like, they can shift it no matter what. And clearly, against the Celtics, the best matchup is Bam Adebayo's matchup. Uh, Not to take anything away from Tice, but um, Adebayo's just... He's a lot faster, he's a lot more athletic, and... He's a good facilitator. He's not the best facilitator on the Heat, but he's a good facilitator, and they should be able to play through him. And he got eight assists against, you know, in Game 5. Like, he can do all of these things that you would want him to do, and he can take advantage of uh, of the Heat. I mean, Goran Dragic has a good matchup when he's being guarded by Kemba Walker. When somebody else is guarding him, then the... Offense should shift to someone else. One problem the Heat have is that when Jay Crowder's playing, uh, the Heat, the Celtics can kind of put Kemba Walker near him, and it's not much of a liability for them. But this whole thing of Jimmy Butler needs to step up. The, all year, everybody's been like, you know who plays sneaky good defense? Jason Tatum, you know, and Jimmy Butler's either being guarded by Jason Tatum or he's being guarded by Jalen Brown, who's who's an even better defender. So there's an idea that Jimmy Butler, oh, 
the solution is more offense through Jimmy Butler. No, Jimmy Butler is being guarded by the best two defenders on the Celtics. Now, if they ever put Haywood on Butler, then I would run everything through Butler. But the Heat are not designed. They're not the Lakers. People treat it like, oh, they're just the Lakers, but with Jimmy instead of LeBron. That is so far from how they're built. It's not how they're built. They need to just keep pursuing the best matchups, and those matchups are Adebayo and Drogic. And when they can create scenarios where Kemba is switched on to Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, those guys should shoot. And those guys are such good shooters that they can shoot over a great defender like Marcus Smart, who, as strong as Marcus Smart is, he's not the tallest wing defender, and both Hero and Robinson should be able to keep shooting over him as they've had have been doing. And I really like the Celtics, but I just don't think a team can win a championship with that at center. <laughs> Not to be disrespectful. I think that they really miss Aaron Baines. I think that it can't be overstated. Uh I think Tice has been playing above his ceiling the whole playoffs and he's been impressive i think it really hurts them that they don't have an option beyond him first of all they don't have they have to choose between either spacing the floor with with haywood and no center hayward and no center man i call him haywood twice yuck uh hayward and no center uh or they can play with Tice, and then they have they don't have three point shooting at center, which is fine. I mean, he's a good rim runner and that kind of stuff. But if they had Baines, they would have both of those. I mean, Baines isn't as good a rim runner as Tice, but uh, but yeah, and they played Ennis Kanter some more minutes in Game Five than they have been, and I think that's the move. Like I would give him even more minutes than that, like more some of Grant Williams's minutes and. Uh, but I, I don't think – I think the Heat are going to win uh, game six and win the series, and I feel good about that. Um, if I were on Bovada, I would definitely bet on the Heat in game six. Regardless of the line, I actually think that the Heat are going to bully uh, – I think they're going to bully this the Celtics a little bit. I mean, I think that their big advantage is that they're tougher at – Every position except shooting guard. And what I mean by that is whoever the Celtics play at shooting guard, whether it's Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, or occasionally Tatum, that is one tough motherfucker to put at shooting guard. But they can only play one of those guys at shooting guard. And if they move their, you know, so let's say they got Marcus Smart at shooting guard. Okay, they got a tough motherfucker at shooting guard. Now, their small forward is either going to be uh, Tatum or Brown or Hayward, but probably probably Tatum or Brown. So you got Brown at small forward. He's lined up against, uh, against Jimmy Butler, who's like the toughest small forward in the league. So they're not going to win toughness on that battle. You got Tatum, same thing. Then if you put Brown or Tatum at power forward then they're matched up against Jay Crowder. So that's like a... I mean, Jay Crowder's very tough. 
as are Tatum and Brown, so maybe that's a that's a tie, but just they're losing toughness by a lot at point guard and center and a little bit at small forward. So I think that's what hurts them. Like the Heat, the Celtics' trick in their back pocket is they can go crazy from three. The Heat's trick in their back pocket is they can go crazy from three or they could just bully you. And going crazy from three, there's like a luck component to that. Being able to bully you is just a choice. And uh, that's the crazy thing about the Clippers, is the Clippers were designed to be able to bully you, and they just didn't choose it as often as you would have hoped. Now, that being said, that's the other false narrative that I hate about these playoffs. Like, people have been treating the Clippers like they go, well, they just had the on-off switch, and they just kept turning it off all the time. That completely negates what a bad matchup Denver was for them, and that can't be overstated. Because if you look at somebody who's designed to beat the Clippers, it's somebody like Jokic. He's the perfect matchup for them because he can shoot over Montrose Harrell, and he can pass around Montrose Harrell. And then if you have... So basically, if you have Montrose Harrell on him, Jokic can kill you right around the basket, or he can kill you at the three-point line. Now, if you put Zubac on him, he can kill Zubac in the mid in the mid-range game because he can kind of take Zubac one on one, and he doesn't even. So that's why he was putting up crazy points uh, against the Clippers because no matter who was on him, a part of the floor he could either do a Kobe impression on Zubac, and uh, that was why. The Jazz were actually such a bad matchup for the Nuggets because Rudy Gobert is one of the only guys in the league who could actually take away, and take away in quotes because Jokic is so good you're not going to take things away, but take away all the parts of the floor a little bit. He could impede uh, He could impede Jokic a little bit. And then if you look at the Clippers series, uh, the refs were not kind to Patrick Beverly, and Patrick Beverly was the one guy who could impede Murray a little bit. Now, Paul George should have been able to play better defense on Murray when he was on him, but I got to give Murray a lot of credit because there was just a lot of times when Paul George did play the perfect defense and it still ended with the bucket. Like, the Clippers had some personality problems. I don't think they liked each other as much as... uh, all of the four teams left in the playoffs like each other with an asterisk next to the Lakers because they only like each other when they're winning, which is understandable because LeBron's the most fun guy in the league to play with when he's winning and the least fun when he's losing. And there's a lot of external pressure on him. But this whole idea of like the Clippers, they, I mean, it's not like they they didn't choke in the sense that people want to say that. They didn't choke. It's not choking. That's not what it is. The Nuggets were – the teams were equally good, the Nuggets and the Clippers, and the Nuggets are a far better matchup. They have far better matchup advantages. You look at center, giant advantage. Point guard, slight advantage because Jamal Murray is so good. Power forward. So they the Clippers have an advantage in that Kawhi is better – then, or if you want to call him the small, I mean, he mostly played power forward in that series, or they would play Marcus Morris at power. So when they have Marcus Morris there, that's a disadvantage because Marcus Morris is solid, but he's not 
uh, you know, he's not as good as Millsap. Um, but so you have Kawhi at, at small forward, and it should be an advantage. And also Michael Porter Jr. played well at power forward. But uh, at small forward, they got Torrey Craig. They got Grant. They got Harris when he plays there. They have excellent defense. So it's the the Clippers-Nuggets power small forward matchup where you have Kawhi being elite but then excellent defenders on him at all the time mirrored the Nuggets-Clippers uh, point guard matchup where you have Murray being elite and excellent defenders on him all the time. Um, and those matchups were kind of even. Like the point guard to small forward matchups – Nuggets won the point guard matchup by about the same amount that the Clippers won the small forward matchup. Uh, Similarly, you had excellent defenders on Paul George all the time. Paul George won that matchup by a little, but he, I mean, he was up and down, but he's been up and down. That wasn't about the Nuggets. When you put excellent defenders on Paul George, he's up and down. But the Nuggets won the center matchup by such a giant chasm because it's a great matchup for them, and everything else was pretty close, and that's why they won that series. Moving on to the Lakers, I feel like I've said this before, but the Lakers have the absolute two best defenders that you would want to put on Jokic. They got Anthony Davis, who's the best defender in the league to put on Jokic. Maybe Giannis is in that conversation, but like Anthony Davis is the perfect guy to put on Jokic. Similarly to Rudy Gobert, he can guard him at all parts of the floor, and he's a little bit better at guarding the passing lanes than Rudy Gobert. He's better. He's better at that. So the one thing that Jokic could always do against the Jazz was pass around them, but he's not going to be able to do that against Anthony Davis. And then Howard is like uh, – he's not as tall or as long as Rudy Gobert, but he's a little bit more athletic, and being able to put him in 12 minutes, 14 minutes a game against uh, – Jokic, I mean, he probably plays all his minutes against Jokic, but if it were me, I'd be like 14, 16 minutes against Jokic, high energy, and they got him at like 23 minutes against him. But uh, yeah, you just let Howard pester, I'm saying, uh, yeah, Jokic, Uh, you let him pester Jokic, and that's, that's like a really good situation for them. That being said, the Murray matchup against the Lakers, I mean, the best defenders they can put on him are Rondo, Caruso, and LeBron. And uh, to be honest, those guys have been getting away with a good amount with Murray. Like, when they don't play Murray physical, Murray's been lighting them up. And uh, when they do play him physical... Like, the same way that LeBron complained about calls, I mean, Murray has a right to be a little bit vocal about that. I mean, he'd probably get fined, but it might be worth it. You just go, look, man, if you're going to, you know, like, the thing about Murray, the advantage is that he, he has the LeBron thing of that his highlights are so fucking fun to watch that... You just watch him separate from a game. You just put him on YouTube, and then you're like, oh, he – people play him a little bit more physical than they're allowed to play Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul or some of these other guys. I mean, Steph, 
Harden. Like, if Murray starts getting these superstar calls, and what better time than the end of this series? That would be how, if Murray can get to the line at the level that he should be getting to the line, then that's that's when I would have a lot of faith in the in the Nuggets to to pull pull out this thing. I don't know, man. I mean, I guess I guess I would I think I'm going to go on Bovada and bet on the Nuggets. I I feel it's not like I think the Nuggets are going to win the series. It's that I just, I hope, I just hope that the Nuggets win the series. Uh, I mean, it would be so fun for LeBron to get, like, for LeBron to win this historic thing. And also, every time LeBron's gotten the opportunity to speak about, you know, systematic oppression in America, he's done an excellent job. Um, But... I just I, I'll say this. The Nuggets are my favorite team to watch play of this whole playoffs and it's not even close. LeBron it would be the most historic if he won. And I also have some love for Anthony Davis and Rondo and a bunch of other Lakers. Uh Jimmy Butler it would be the most vindicating if he won and if the Celtics win it all, fuck the bubble. <laughs> it's just like that would just suck, man. Just, uh, just because of the other teams that are there. Like, n- no hate against the Celtics. Actually, there's some guys on that team that I'm gonna love watching for the next ten years. But I don't know. Now I feel like Charles Barkley, where it's like, remember when Charles Barkley would hate on the Warriors just because he didn't want to see a jump shooting team win a championship. I don't want to see a team with a band-aid at center win a championship, especially when it feels like, I mean, they beat the 76ers, but without Ben Simmons, but still that was a legit center who they beat. Then in the next round, they didn't have to go against a, a true dominant center. Well, they didn't have to go against uh, in their prime center point blank period against the Raptors. Uh, and like Ibaka was great, but you can, guard Ibaka with a, with a bigger small forward or, or a power forward. Um, now they're going against... I mean, they're going against a very good center in Bam Adebayo. So, and they would be going against Davis or Jokic. So elite big if they beat the Heat. So they would have earned it. You, I wouldn't be able to take anything away from the Celtics. I just don't want basketball to move in that direction where Yeah, I don't I don't believe in the band-aided center. I don't believe in it as a vehicle to winning basketball games. Like winning championships. You can be very good with a band-aided center. Yeah, I mean the Clipper, I and I wouldn't include the Clippers actually because I don't think Montrezl Harrell is a band aid. I think Zubac is is like a a very high end band aid, and then Montrezl Harrell you can win with them at center. The problem that the Clippers faced is you need elite elite rebounding at power forward if you're going to win with 
Montrose Harrell as your center. I don't know why they never tried playing Zubac and Harrell together. I guess because they couldn't play Zubac that many minutes. Cause, and that's the other thing is Jokic was just racking up fouls on him. Um, yeah, they just needed – the Clippers really needed – if they had an elite rebounder at power forward, even somebody like Michael Porter Jr. or uh, – <laughs> I mean – Obviously, you put KD on that Clippers team instead of Marcus Morris, they'd win three championships in a row. But trying to think of like who's a cheaper option for cheaper being relative, where you could put them on this Clippers team. I mean, Julius Randle is not cheap. Oh, well, I wouldn't. You know who would actually be a good fit for this in terms of those Marcus Morris minutes, but I don't even think he's that cheap. Is is Bobby Portis would actually be a really good fit on that team? Uh, he's still expensive, and he's got one more year left on his deal. I mean, you know, everybody hates uh, Jonathan Isaac's, but uh, or Jonathan Isaac, and that's a little bit. It's unfair for everybody to hate him. I really don't like that there was even that much focus on that. It's like. It reminded me of the parent whose kid gets one problem wrong on a test and uh, and that's all the – and they got like a 98 and the parent's just like, what about that one problem? What about, It was just kind of douchey. And I'm not even going to say what he did because I didn't even like that at all. Oh, well, Larry Nance got paid too, but he would be a good fit on this clip. You just need elite rebounding at power forward if you're going to – try to win with a predominantly undersized center and elite help uh, defense at power forward. And Kawhi had some of that. I mean, that's the other thing is if the Clippers had um, like a Duncan Robinson type at shooting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's the Lou Williams. If Lou Williams had been, Shooting lights out, which he's often capable of, that would have solved lots of the Clippers' problems. And similarly, if Landry Shamit had shot lights out, which he's occasionally capable of, then that would have solved it. And yeah, they just needed more rebounding and more and more help defense at power forward and more shot making at point guard. So that. Uh, I guess that is how <laughs> how you would fix the Clippers going into next year. And I actually think it's doable because ideally Landry Shamit will be better. If he's not, then you would look to flip him for somebody who can hit those shots. And like the Spurs have two guys who can hit those shots. The Pelicans have Josh Hart. He can hit those shots. Like there's guys available around the league. I actually think that people undersell the Clippers situation like you can fix it just by tinkering with it like people act like it's unsolvable now one guy I've I've seen floated to them is Derrick Rose and I don't think he fixes anything to me Derrick Rose and Lou Williams at this point in their careers are the same guy like maybe you think that Derrick Rose would play a little bit more a little bit better under the bright lights I don't know, man. I don't think that's the move personally. Uh but, you know, that's that's what 
they are floating out there. We'll see if it happens. Um, okay, so I feel good about the Heat getting to the finals. I feel 50-50, 55-45 maybe about the Lakers. Um, if it's those two teams, I... Yeah, let's let's wait until it's those two teams before I make any predictions about that. Uh, on the WNBA side, I've been saying since the beginning to go on Bovada and bet on the Seattle Storm. They're the best team in the WNBA by a significant margin, in my opinion, because the I mean the second slash third best team, the Las Vegas Aces, are missing. Two of the best players in Liz Cambage and Kelsey Plum. Uh, the Connecticut Sun are solid. You know, I don't know, man. Like, it's so douchey to – now I've said that twice. But it's so, it's so that to shit on a WNBA player in any capacity. But uh, there is a – there's an avenue – I don't even want to float this out there. It's just that I've noticed it. There is an avenue to disparaging Shanae Gumukwe on the basis that every team she's left seems to play a little bit better without her. Not way better. Well, I mean, in the case of the Sun, they definitely got better. Uh I don't know, man. Like sometimes, sometimes it's good for a team to to shed their superstar and play through a uh, a more balanced attack. I don't know. I don't even. And the Sparks played it. I mean, the Sparks looked great at times, and then there were other times where they looked like they could have used Shanae. So maybe it's maybe it's not. Fair, but maybe it is. I mean, the Connecticut Sun look really good. Uh, I still think that the Storm will smash them. I think that uh, the best player in the bubble is Brianna Stewart. I think the second best player in the bubble, if it isn't Asia Wilson, it's Jewel Lloyd. And I think that, uh, I think that. And I also think that, similarly to the NBA bubble, I think that this championship should mean more for whoever wins it in the WNBA. I mean, it's going to probably be the most viewed uh, WNBA championship of all time, especially if the WNBA is smart and does it after the NBA championship. Like, it's just... I've, that's one thing I've hated recently is they've just been playing these games at the exact same times on the same days as the NBA games. And they – I mean I don't know what the behind-the-scenes stuff is with that. But if they played them earlier in the day, people will watch them like before they watch the NBA game. I mean I flip back and forth between the channels, but like it's just dumb, man. Play them – Two hours earlier. Play them two hours earlier, and if it's a blowout, people will flip to the NBA game in the fourth quarter. And if you know what, if it's a really close game, like some of these games have been, like that fucking buzzer beater game, like if it's a really the in the storm storm uh, 
Lynx game one. If it's like that game, people are going to watch the fourth quarter of the WNBA game and tune in a little late, you know, tune in halfway through the first to the NBA game. Like people love basketball. And when you, when you like program this highly competitive, highly compelling basketball at the same exact time as an NBA game with way bigger stars, it's just a disservice, man. It's just dumb. Uh, you know, that being said, obviously viewership in the WNBA way up. Uh, merch is up like 400%. I got to get that hoodie still. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I'm i excited about... I'll be slightly more excited if it's Aces Storm just because <laughs> I just think then we'll really get to see the gap between... It'll be like... MJ and Clyde Drexler will get to see the gap between uh, Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. But if it's Sunstorm, uh, that'll still be a great series. I mean, it's going to be a great series either way. Lynx Storm is a great series. You can make a case that the Lynx are the second best team in the bubble. But I think they're going to get swept because the Storm are that good. Uh, I think that's it for me. Um, Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, I don't know who I would go with for, I think, I think if I were on Bavada, I would bet on the, uh, storm to sweep. I just think that they're like, they're like, that's the team Pat Riley dreams about. They're just ruthless, man. Like, it's like, I mean, the heat are, the heat are wired that way too, but the storm are the more talented team and they want to step on your throat. It's both. And that's a rare thing in basketball because usually the team that's less talented is self-aware enough to play desperate. And it's just hard to be both of those things. But the Storm are more talented than people and they want to step on your throats. And that's beautiful. And now my phone's ringing and uh, I'll end this now. Uh, thanks for listening. And... Uh, Let's see what ends up happening with this. It's really exciting basketball, and I've probably said basketball 110 times this podcast, so I don't know. If there's an award or the opposite of an award for that, I'm open to receiving either.